Hey, Grace community, so glad to be with you today. Uh, Wherever you're at, emotionally, spiritually, physically, I'm excited about what God is going to do in us in our time together. He sees you. He loves you. And he is eager to speak into your life and mine. So thanks again for tuning in and letting me be a part of of your life. We are nearing the end of a very transformative journey that we've been on for the past several months as we've been walking through this um, incredibly powerful sermon that Jesus gave known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, before we jump in to the passage for today, I wanted to invite you on another journey um, this fall, starting the second week of September. We as a church are going to be exploring together this powerful topic of joy how we can experience greater levels of joy. I and some other leaders at our church have been on a significant learning curve regarding this whole area of joy, and it has been fascinating and life-changing. I mean, this goes way beyond the, the typical joy sermon in church where we're exhorted to you know, just choose joy. What we've been learning about is how we as human beings are actually wired for joy and that there are specific and intentional things we can do to cultivate greater levels of joy in our lives in our relationships and in our church. And so I just want to put that on your radar, not only as an upcoming teaching series, but also as a a powerful experience for a small group to explore and practice together. So if you're in a small group, start talking about whether or not you all would want to explore this as a group. And if you're not in a group, man, this could be a great time to think about creating one or joining one this fall. You can find out more details about groups on our app or on our website. Okay, so today we find ourselves in in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. In this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus picks up again this theme of prayer. As we saw several weeks ago, in chapter 6 of this sermon, Jesus lays out this beautiful foundation for a life of prayer. He invites us into a secret place to be alone with him. And then Jesus gives us this powerful template for what to pray for. So we spent some time about a month ago unpacking the Lord's prayer and how we can use it as a foundation for a life of prayer. Well, in the section that we're looking at today, Jesus builds on that foundation by providing some more advanced training in prayer, sort of a prayer 201. Now, I got to admit, the timing of me teaching on this passage is very interesting, given the fact that I've honestly, I've been in sort of a prayer fog for the past few months. Even though I have a huge passion for prayer, I have struggled some in this area more recently. And, And my underlying struggle has been a growing list of prayer requests that haven't happened. For instance, praying for months for healing for a a friend who's battling brain cancer and earnestly praying for God to heal her and and totally believing that God could heal her, only to receive a, a text recently from her husband who told me that he has just contacted hospice. Praying for another friend's marriage to be restored, and it's kind of going the other direction. I mean, there is nothing like unanswered prayer to cause a slow leak in our prayer lives where we begin to wonder, why pray anyway? Does God even hear my prayers? Do they make any difference? What's the point? I mean, that's kind of where my heart has been recently. And yet God met me in that place in this passage and is rekindling in my heart a renewed 
desire to pray. So let's wade into this passage and let Jesus speak to each of us as fellow travelers on this prayer journey. Let me read this passage for us. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is God's word. Now, in this passage, Jesus is strongly encouraging us to pray. And the reason is not pray because you're supposed to, nor is it pray because that's what followers of Jesus do or that's what God wants you to. No, no, no. The, the primary, Jesus' primary reason for us to pray is that our prayers result in something that we wouldn't experience if we didn't pray. In other words, Jesus is saying, if we don't pray, we will miss out on some good things that God the Father wants to give us. Now, I needed to be reminded of that, and maybe you do as well. I mean, in, in, in our fog of unanswered prayer, it is so easy to just stop praying. And in doing so, we forget this core teaching of Jesus, that prayer is a primary vehicle for his blessings to be released in our lives. Now, there's something else that Jesus also makes clear in this passage. And when I say it, it's probably going to sound a little bit offensive maybe, but here it is. According to Jesus, certain prayers are more effective than others. There is a way of praying that can add effectiveness to our prayers. Now, please hear me. I am not promoting some formula, you know, for effective praying. There is no formula. There is no prayer formula. But there are principles. There are principles that Jesus teaches us here about how we can pray more effectively, how we can grow in our praying. All right. So in this passage, Jesus reveals three specific things that can help make our prayers more effective. First is persistence. Persistence. Jesus says, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Now, this sounds very straightforward and simple. Ask. I mean, th this is kind of what prayer is all about, right? In its most basic form, we call out to God. We ask for his help. But the language Jesus uses here invites us to, into a more engaged experience of asking. The verb tense here that Jesus uses speaks of a continuous asking, not a one-time asking. Oh, I asked God to do that a couple months ago, and I'm just waiting for his answer. No, no, no. Jesus is inviting us into an experience of prayer in which we keep coming to God with our request. We ask, and we keep on asking. He is describing a persistence in prayer, a tenacity in asking. So the question is, why would God want us to persist in prayer rather than just immediately giving us whatever we ask for. Now, sometimes I think it's helpful to remember that God is our Heavenly Father and we're His kids. And any parent knows that it is not always wise to just give your kids whatever they want, whenever they want it. As parents, we instinctively know that is not healthy for them. It's in the waiting and the persevering that character and maturity are developed. 
You see, there is way more at stake in our prayer lives than simply us getting what we want when we want it. Prayer happens in the context of relationship. And the most valuable asset in this relationship is trust. That's what God is ultimately after. There is something about persisting in prayer that can shape our character and can deepen our trust in our Heavenly Father. Now, there's, there's a powerful example of this in 1 Kings 18, where in the midst of a, a severe three-year famine, we're talking dust bowl proportions, God tells the prophet Elijah that there will be rain on the land. And so Elijah goes to King Ahab and he tells him there's going to be rain. But the story doesn't end there. So here's, here's what happened next. 1 Kings 18, verses 42 and 43. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. So Elijah is praying for rain, and every time he prays, he then sends his servant to go look to see if any clouds are forming. And each time, his servant comes back and says, there's nothing there. Six times, no result. Does Elijah give up? No. No, he keeps praying. Verse 44, the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. I mean, when I read that story, I wonder, what if Elijah had stopped praying after the sixth time? I mean, what if he had said, you know, if God's not going to you know, is not going to respond to six requests. I'm done. I'm out of here. It's not working. He would have missed the miracle. He would have missed the miracle. What miracles, what breakthroughs do we miss because we give up too soon in our praying? Six times, nothing happens. We decide to give up, to move on. But what if it's in the seventh time where God is going to bring the breakthrough. Are you and I willing to keep on praying for something, even if nothing is happening for days, for weeks, for months, even for years? 33 years ago in this church, there was a meeting to decide whether or not to close the doors of this church for good. It had seen some growth over the years, but by the mid to late 1980s, it had dwindled down to a pretty small group of people. But let me tell you about those people. That They were not mighty in number, but they were people of prayer. They had prayed and fasted for this church for years. So at that meeting 30 plus years ago, when Common Sense said it was time to close the doors, they voted not to do that, believing that God was going to answer their prayers and that he still had some things he wanted to do through this church. And here we are. God is using this church in powerful ways in people's lives, including yours. You are evidence 
of the impact of persevering prayer. Elijah shows us what can happen when we don't give up in our praying, when we keep praying, even when nothing seems to be happening. Now, I know, so I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but that was Elijah, right? That's Elijah, the prophet Elijah. I'm no Elijah. I'm just an ordinary person. Check out what James says in James chapter five in the New Testament. Look at this. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James is saying, look, Elijah was no different than us. He was a human being just like we are. What made his prayers effective was not some special anointing he had. It was his decision to persevere in prayer, to ask and keep on asking. For those of you who have been persevering in prayer for something, and perhaps you are growing weary in your praying, Jesus says to you, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Keep asking and keep trusting in the goodness of your heavenly Father. He loves you. Nothing can change that fact. So don't give up in your praying. Ask and keep on asking. Which leads to the second thing that can make our prayers more effective, and that is pursuit. Pursuit. After urging us to ask and it will be given to you, Jesus then says, seek and you will find. Jesus is talking about something that is qualitatively different than simply asking. To seek is to earnestly pursue something. I mean, it can certainly include asking, but it is so much more than that. Seeking involves a gathering of information, a curiosity, an earnest pursuit to understand more. Earlier in this sermon, Jesus made this definitive and seminal statement when he said, but seek first, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That word seek that he uses there is the same word he uses here in Matthew 7. So when you put these two ideas together, you realize that Jesus is giving us a bigger context in which to view our praying. That context is the kingdom of God, his rule, his reign, his influence, his purposes. See, that is always the backdrop of our praying. In our, in our praying, we are ultimately pursuing or seeking his kingdom. Now, now, why is this important? It's important because sometimes we can get so focused on asking for something that we lose sight of the bigger picture. One of the most powerful examples of this is in the prayer life of Jesus, where in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying the night before his crucifixion. And what was his initial prayer? Here's his initial prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. See, he is asking God to remove his suffering, to provide another way that doesn't involve the cross. So he asks God for this. Now, Jesus could have just kept asking and asking and asking for God to do this very thing, right? He could have stayed up all night repeating the same request, but there was more going on in that place. Not only was Jesus asking, he was also seeking he was seeking first the kingdom. He was seeking God's heart and will, which is why his asking for the cup to be removed eventually became this prayer. Yet not my will, but yours be done. 
in his seeking, Jesus began to understand that the Father's will required this suffering and sacrifice. So he surrendered his will to the Father's will. Did he get what he initially asked for? No. He got something better. The privilege of aligning his heart and life with the glorious purposes of God. You see, sometimes we can get so fixated on asking for something in prayer that we never take the next step and combine our asking with seeking. God, this is what I want, but is this what you want? In Jesus' example, we see how prayer can be this transformative relational experience where our hearts can become more aligned with and surrendered to God's heart and his perspective. As, as many of you know, Raylene and I have a 20-year-old son with significant special needs. And, and from the moment of Joshua's birth, we knew, you know, when, when, we, knew that, when we knew that something was wrong, from the moment of his birth, we, we started praying, praying for healing, praying for speech, praying for cognition. For probably the first 15 years of his life, that was our only focus in praying, asking God for healing. But in the midst of that asking, God began to open our eyes to see the impact that Josh had on people in his disability, the way he never meets a stranger and he always welcomes them in, the way he loves being around people. We began to see all the amazing people and the opportunities that were part of our lives because of Joshua's disability. It was like somewhere in our asking we also began seeking God's heart. And it has dramatically changed our perspective. And we still ask for healing, but now our prayers also include praying for Joshua to have deepening friendships, praying for Josh to discover God's purpose for him vocationally, praying for Josh to more deeply experience the Father's love as Joshua so naturally demonstrates that to others. You know, I wonder if sometimes we all, we all can get so stuck in our asking for something that we don't ever stop and ask, God, what are you up to? What are you wanting to do in this person's life? I mean, honestly, so often our prayers are focused on pain alleviation. Someone loses their job. God, give them another job. Someone experiences a health struggle. God, remove the, you know, that struggle, remove that condition, all that stuff. Both of those are great prayers to pray for. I'm not saying don't pray for those. They're they're great prayers to pray for. But but what if God is wanting to deepen this person's experience of him in their struggle? I mean, what if God is wanting to use this struggle in their lives to actually impact other people? I mean, when, when I compare my prayers for other people with how the Apostle Paul prayed for other people, I see this huge contrast. I mean, I'm praying for difficulties to disappear, for things to be more comfortable and easy, for pain and challenges to just to be gone. I mean, here's, here's what Paul is praying for when he prays for the believers in Philippi who are enduring hardship. This is what he prays for them. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I mean, when I read that, 
I feel like my prayers and Paul's are on a different planet. Mine seems so micro-focused on pain alleviation. Paul's prayers are, are so focused on, on spiritual maturity, growing in love and wisdom and discernment and fruitfulness and intimacy with Jesus and all of that bringing glory to God. I mean, what would happen if in the midst of our asking in prayer for something, we also took time to seek the Lord and to pray into what is on his heart for this person? We could even use Paul's prayer as a template, you know, praying his words over our lives or over someone that we love. See, what will begin to happen in us is what happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, our hearts will become more aligned with and surrendered to our Father's heart. In other words, our prayers will begin to change us. The third thing Jesus mentions that can make our prayers more effective is partnership. Partnership. I've been thinking a lot about this metaphor Jesus uses regarding the, this door, knocking on this door. He says, knock and the door will be open to you. See, what he's describing here is a partnership. See, think about this. The door, a, a, a door will not open without me knocking. And yet my knocking in and of itself will not open the door. I knock and that knock moves the person to open the door. It takes two active participants for the door to be open. See, I think we often lose sight of the, 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 the fact that in prayer, we are cooperating with God to bring about things on earth that would not happen if we did not pray. Now, I'm not, I'm not in any way minimizing the sovereignty of God. I'm simply acknowledging what Jesus seems to be saying in this passage. This door will not open unless we knock. And when we knock, we suddenly are partnering with God in a powerful way. Now, I don't know if you could relate to this, but I often find myself getting lazy about this. And I start to believe this lie that God's going to do what he wants to do anyway. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's going to do what he wants to do. So why pray? God's, you know, God controls every little detail of life and it doesn't matter what I do. Friends, that is a very unhealthy and I believe unbiblical view of God's sovereignty. If God is controlling every decision, then we're just robots in a predetermined universe. And God is this cosmic monster who sends cancer to people and causes car accidents. That is not our God. The worldview that scripture offers us is one in which God is absolutely on the throne. No doubt about that. But there is also a spiritual battle going on with all sorts of nefarious forces at work. And we're in the middle of that. So when Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, your kingdom come, he is inviting us, he is urging us to partner with God in our praying. Our prayers are a vital part of God's kingdom coming to earth. God's rule and reign and life and wholeness and power coming into a situation right now. You see, there are doors that need to be opened in the lives of people around you. And in some mysterious way, God is waiting for you and me to knock 
and to keep knocking. We are partnering with him when we pray. I think of that story of Elijah we saw earlier. God tells him it's going to rain, right? So Elijah tells King Ahab it's going to rain. And then Ahab goes off and has a burger and a beer or whatever. But what does Elijah do? He goes up on the mountain to pray. Why is he praying? I mean, God said it's going to rain. So why is Elijah praying? It's because Elijah knew that he was partnering with God in making this happen. So Elijah knocked and God opened the door in response. Let me, let me just ask, are there any closed doors in your life or the lives of others around you? And you have a promise from God that this door is going to open, but it's not open right now. I just want to encourage you, don't stop knocking on that door. We are in a battle and the enemy wants us to think that our prayers don't matter, but they do. Without our prayers, that door will not open. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, and watch for God to do amazing things in response. Now, in saying that, I also want to acknowledge that there are times when we pray with this kind of earnestness and faith and knocking intensity, all that, and the door never opens. And we're left with the grief and pain of a loved one who wasn't healed here on earth. What do we do with that? There are no easy answers, but I do think Jesus gives us a North Star in this passage that can help us in our pain. And that North Star is the character of God. Look again at verses 9 to 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, sometimes in the fog and the pain of unanswered prayer, we can lose sight of who it is we're praying to. We can start to think that God doesn't care or that God isn't good, that he's too busy with running the universe to care about our needs. Honestly, this is where my heart has found itself recently. And I needed to hear afresh Jesus' words, and maybe you do as well. When you pray, you are entering into the presence of a God who sees you and who weeps with you and who loves you and who delights in you. You are praying to a God who not only loves to give good gifts to his children, he also loves to draw near to us when our hearts are breaking. Someday, when we get to heaven, the fog of unanswered prayer will be lifted, and we will see what God has been orchestrating. We will see how our persistent prayer is partnered with him to accomplish things that we couldn't yet see on earth. And we will see how our seeking him in prayer made our hearts more ready to experience him fully in heaven. So, my friends, let's not lose heart in our praying. Let's ask and keep on asking. Let's seek and keep on seeking. Let's knock and keep on knocking. For we have a heavenly Father who loves us and hears us and wants us to come to him as his 
beloved children. And we have an amazing Savior whose death on the cross enables us to regularly enter into God's presence in prayer. All right, well, let's pray. So I want you to take a moment in the quiet of your heart. I want you to take a moment. I want you to, in, I want to just lead us in a, a time of, of prayer to the Lord. But I want you to envision in your mind you coming into the presence of God, either God the Father or Jesus the Son, either one. But you just envision that you're coming before him in prayer. And what I want you to imagine in your mind is exactly what Scripture says is true. He is eager for you to be there. His attention is focused on you. He sees you. He is attentive to you. He is eager to hear from you. He stops everything he's doing so that he can be attentive to you. Okay, so with that picture in your mind, I want you to think about a specific need in your life or in the life of someone you love. And maybe this is even something that you have stopped praying for. You've kind of given up. So I want you to take a few moments here and we're going to ask and seek and knock with that particular request. So first of all, let's ask. Take a moment and earnestly ask God to do this thing. Ask him to do this. And as you're asking, let me, let me just mention, are you willing to keep asking? Not just today. Are you willing to keep asking, to persevere in prayer for that? Second, let's seek. So in your asking for this, here you are in the Lord's presence. You're asking, you've already asked for this thing. I want you to take a moment and quiet your heart and just ask him, is there something that you want to say to me, Lord? What do you desire? Is there something I'm missing maybe in my prayers? Something you desire for this person that you want me to pray into? And now take a moment in the quiet of your heart and pray that. Maybe you've been so focused on pain alleviation, which is totally fine, but maybe God wants you to pray for perseverance for this person, for their love for Jesus to grow, for their influence to grow, for their faith to be strengthened. So just take a moment and pray for what is on God's heart for them. And as we're praying, I want us to remember that in praying, we are knocking. We are partnering with God in this situation, in this person's life, in this area. Your prayers, my prayers for this situation, for this person, they matter. And I want you just to remember that. Your prayers are important. They matter. You are partnering with God. 
in this person's life. So, Father, thank you for, for this invitation to pray to you. Jesus, thank you for showing us and teaching us more and more about prayer. And I want to I pray for myself and for the friends who are watching. God, would you help us continue to grow in this, that these wouldn't be words we just kind of put away and forget about. This would be something you're stirring in us that impacts the way we pray and that we would see breakthroughs, we would see doors open, we would see and experience our own hearts changing as we ask and we seek and we knock. We love you, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.